567 Cape Talk. You can join the conversation. Now, as we all know, it's Valentine's Day on Friday, and uh, one year on, it has a rather darker connotation than other Valentine's Days have had, because, of course, it means it is the anniversary of the death of Reva Steenkamp, and uh, the Oscar Pistorius trial kicking off in just a week or two. Uh, it means the spotlight is turning, turning very firmly back onto this case, an astounding case that shocked the whole country and indeed the world. So we thought it would be a good time to chat to somebody who is more intimately acquainted with the crime itself, with the subsequent legal process, and who also has a wider appreciation of the sort of context in which the crime occurred in our society, as has been noted, awash with guns, alcohol, violence, corruption. Against this backdrop, it's a great pleasure to welcome to the studio author Lorianne Klasser. She's the author of the book Pieces of the Puzzle, Oscar Pistorius and Reva Steenkamp, Part 1, the killing. Welcome, Laurie. Nice to have you with us. Thank you, Pippa. Nice to be here. And she is, of course, a freelance writer, editor, author, uh, uh, an investigative journalist with, with a great depth of experience. She's based here in Cape Town, has written several books, including one on the cricket match-fixing scandal named Caught Out, which was long-listed for the Alan Patton Award for Nonfiction a few years ago. And corruption in sport, I'm told, is one of your key focus areas. This is a little bit of a deviation away then from the norm. Well, not really, Pippa. I think what the Hansi case and what this case has in common is the fact of a fallen hero. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's interesting for me is, is what makes a person a hero. Why are these people who, because they can hit a ball well or run fast, why are they heroes? And why are we so reluctant to believe that our heroes have feet of clay? Mm. Interesting question, because as you say, if, if it's just their sporting ability that we hold up in such high esteem, then why do we expect so much more from them as well? Um, now, of course, the book you released as an e-book initially, and I'm told just seven weeks after the crime itself occurred. Um, it's now available in print as well. You can find it in major bookstores. I've had a partial read of it. I haven't managed to finish it yet, but it's absolutely compelling stuff. Very, very interesting to read, even for somebody who, like me, was part of the initial coverage of the crime and read a lot of the reports and was familiar with the evidence it, it's a very very compelling read now let's go back perhaps to start to the 14th of february 2013 it was one of those days i think we'll all remember where we were when we heard that news i know i was on my car on the way into the cape talk studios to do a news shift and couldn't you know, i nearly crashed my car couldn't believe what i'd heard where were you when you first heard about the crime and how did you hear about it i was at home in my office and that was the thursday which was valentine's day and my dad had obviously heard it on the radio and he came in and and told me the news. And I think I was as shocked as, as the rest of the world to hear it. But I think that Hansigate had taught me a lesson in that we can't believe that we know people who we've never met. Mm. And so I wasn't really in any kind of a rush of, to judgment on on the the facts of the case. Um, I went away for that weekend and for Valentine's Day weekend and I wasn't in touch with the media reports until I got back on the Monday. And then I got sucked into the drama. I discovered Twitter and Mm. I was following the bail appeal blow by blow. Because I mean, what was so unusual about this particular case is for me, it was the first time we've seen such a huge outpouring of public weighing in on opinion. Everybody was suddenly an expert on Twitter. And I mean, the entire thing just played itself out on social media with everybody weighing in with comments. I mean, we all knew it was going to be a major public scandal because he was such a public figure and such a hero for so many reasons. But did you expect that onslaught on social media? 
Look, I wasn't surprised because obviously Oscar had become a global icon after being the poster boy for the London mm. 2012 Olympics. And also what you had here was a real-life contemporary Greek tragedy. You've got the fatally flawed fallen hero. You've got the, the defenseless, beautiful woman cut down in her prime on a day dedicated to love. Mm. So the story had all the elements of, of a blockbuster. When was it that you realized you wanted to write a book about it? While I was following it on uh, following the bail hearing on Twitter, basically, I got, you know, the world changed very much since I wrote Caught Out. Back mm-hmm. then, I was having to go to the King Commission hearings. I was sitting there. I was taking notes. I was having to transcribe them every night. Whereas now, I could sit in my office in Cape Town and follow events as they were unfolding in real time in Pretoria. Mm. And basically, I just wanted to get to the bottom of the truth of what happened. And so I started writing then and there. So it was a case of sort of true crime in real time. In real time. Now, it happened. I mean, the the book, as we said, came out seven weeks after the crime. That's incredibly quickly. Was it your intention to be the first out there with the story? Yes, it was. You know, I think that perhaps inspired by my material, I felt like I was in a race. Mm -hmm. Book deals were being signed left, right and centre. And I challenged myself to be the first to bring a book to market, to to provide a kind of comprehensive prequel to the trial, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote furiously for those seven weeks. I think I took a day or two off in that time. And by the time I got to writing the last chapter, I was actually writing it standing up because by then my back was just finished. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> now, I mean, was, was the decision to publish it as an e-book part of that speed of getting it to market? Yes, indeed. It, it was that speed to market. Um, and and it in addition, there's a lot of other advantages to to e-publishing, not least the fact that in a in a true crime in real time kind of genre such as this, you can do updates to your ebook within 12 hours. Okay. So you can update it as events are continuing to unfold. And in addition, there's the affordability of ebooks um, and the fact that they are so accessible, you can mm-hmm. read them anywhere. Um, and it's affordable for both for for both um, writers and for for readers for readers purchasing the book. When did you make the decision then to bring out a print version as well, and how long did that take? Well, again, while I was writing the ebook, um, I approached a publishing associate of mine. I think this would have been the Tuesday after the bail hearing concluded, oh. and I said we should do a print book in tandem with the ebook. Yes. He bought into the idea. He then approached the Sunday Times and those were then the three parties that were responsible for the the publication of the print book, which came out at the end of November last year. End of November and is still available, I assume, in bookstores. Yes, it is. Now, let's get to the book itself. I mean, um, from what I've read, it's a very, very accessible, easy to read overview, a very sort of overview of the characters involved, of the evidence that's been led, etc. Talk to us a little bit, just give us a synopsis of what a reader will find. Well, I, I, you know, I think that this book is, the print book at least, is a, is a strange kind of hybrid. It's kind of a coffee table paperback. Mm. Because our partnership with the Sunday Times enabled us to access their photographic archive. So there's photographs in there, there's graphics, there's cartoons, there's illustrations, there's a timeline of the key events, there's a double page spread on the questions that were raised which have yet to be answered, mm-hmm. um, which hopefully will be done in, in the upcoming trial. And I think also the the visual aspect of it makes it very different from your conventional crime novel. Mm, Absolutely. Now, did you have access to Oscar himself? Did you get to interview him? 
No, I didn't. Nobody has interviewed Oscar since before the the events of that Valentine's Day, of course. But look, Oscar has given us his version of events in his affidavit, and it'll be up to the court to interrogate that version, not the media. That that is the tricky thing because the media has been interrogating it, the public's also been interrogating it. I mean, ad nauseum on Twitter and social media. So it's very difficult to distinguish fact from speculation in the run-up to the trial. Was that a big challenge for you with all the information coming at you on social media? No, it wasn't. And again, I mean, I think that this was one of those groundbreaking um, events that that Twitter is so good at because you were able to follow the the bail hearing in real time. Reporters were sitting in the court tweeting it. So there were live news, real time updates. So I was able to to compile all of that together and use that as a transcript of what transpired in in that time. And, and at the same time, you know, I, I, I looked at the early media reports that had yes. come out before the, the bail hearing. And I compared them with the evidence that was then presented in the bail hearing. And those early media reports were remarkably accurate. Your number one news and talk station. Email Pippa on pippah at capetalk.co.za. We're chatting to Lorianne Klasser, author of the book Pieces of the Puzzle, Oscar Pistorius and Reva Steenkamp, Part 1, The Killing. Lorianne, Part 1, I assume that means Part 2 will be coming after the trial. Yes, the intention is to publish part two Judgment Day as a print book and as an e-book after the outcome of the trial. Now let's talk a bit about the trial. Uh, it's not far away from us now. Um, in fact, before we get to the trial itself, sorry, I have to ask you, you were the person who actually broke the story that the investigator assigned to the case initially, if I'm not mistaken, was himself facing criminal charges. How did that happen? Well, I actually didn't break the story. That was an exclusive by Alex Elisiv, okay, uh, of our witness But you were the person yes. who made it sort of publicly uh yes yeah. yes what, well what happened was as i say i'd been following the bail hearing on twitter and the tuesday which was the end of the first day of the bail hearing the state announced that they were going to call the investigating officer to the stand the next day a detective hilton berta so i googled his name to find out who was this person in charge of one of the most high profile cases in the country and came across his name in a New Age report in which they said that he was being charged with several other of his um, associates with seven charges of attempted murder. So what to do with this information? Mm. I approached Alex Elisiv, sent him an email that Tuesday night, and by Thursday, Hilton Boucher was off the case. Okay, so you actually had a direct impact on the on the. Again, the wonders of, the of social media. Mm. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Now, let's talk about the trials coming up. Obviously, we're going to be revisiting the stories and the various versions of the stories of what happened that night. As somebody who is now intimately acquainted with the evidence, with all of the events and testimony and affidavits, etc., what do you think happened that night? Well, Reva Steenkamp's injuries were the following. A bullet wound to the right hip, the right elbow, the right ear, and a finger on her left hand. Now, a report by City Press three days after the Valentine's Day shooting on the 17th of February quoted police sources who were involved with the case. And they painted a scenario in which Oscar had shot Reva, pursuing her up the passage, and hit her in the right hip. She then managed to lock herself in the toilet cubicle and... Her injuries could then be explained 
the right elbow, the right ear, and the fingers on the left hand if she was cowering in the toilet cubicle, as the police suggested, with her arms covering her head. And interestingly enough, three months later in June, Reva's mother, June Steenkamp, said something very similar in an interview with the BBC's Channel 5. And in it, she said that Reva must have been so afraid, locked in that toilet cubicle, and she'd already been hit once. Okay. So whether this scenario will be borne out by the forensic and ballistic evidence that will appear, will be presented at the trial, remains to be seen. It would, though, explain the reports, because there were several reports that shots were fired, then there was a break, then more shots were fired. There was uh, witnesses, according to the state, mm. would testify that there were more than one set of shots separated by an interval of some minutes. Mm. I mean, it's just the most horrendous picture to keep in your head. Uh, but, I mean, as a journalist with your level of experience, it, it must be a picture that you see in a wider context. Talk to us a little bit about that. Well, you know, I mean, what, whatever happens in this case, whether Oscar is found guilty of culpable homicide, uh, idea, in other words, an, an accident, a horrible accident, or whether he's found guilty of murder, I think it speaks, this whole case speaks to a culture of guns and violence and fear in this country. We shoot first and we ask questions later. Mm. With just dire consequences. I mean, I think, as I said, we all remember where we were when we heard the news because it is, as you said, this tragic fall from grace of a figure who was such a hero on so many levels. But at the same time, I think we all, with our awareness of violence against women in this country, specifically feel that, that horror and fear of what she must have gone through. Um, so it's a very difficult case to wrap your head around and, and to, to sort of let sit in your mind. Uh, how do you think the story is going to end? Well, I really don't know. You know, at the least, if Oscar, according to the evidence, he should be convicted with, at the very least, culpable homicide with gross negligence, for which there isn't a minimum sentence, but that usually is jail time. If, however, the state manages to prove that he had intent to kill then that's murder and that carries a 15-year sentence. And if the state manages to prove premeditation, then that's 25 years. So the only thing that I can say with any certainty is that Oscar will be convicted of something. The only question is what. So you feel confident. So regardless of potential bungles in police investigations or anything like that, you feel confident he will be convicted of something? Well, by the evidence in his own affidavit, mm. he says that he fired shots, shots, plural, through a locked door at somebody he couldn't see. Mm. The proof for murder is intent to kill. So if you fire four shots into a room that is one meter by 1.15 meters squared, you should be able to foresee the consequences of those actions, mm. which is the death of whoever was behind that door. Sure, shocking stuff. My last question is, do you think his celebrity status will have any impact on the conduct of the trial and the outcome? Look, I think that there's an inescapable um, perception in South Africa that money and power and influence can buy you justice. We only need to take Shabir Sheikh, for example, or um, Jackie Salebi, or good old Jacob Zuma himself with those elusive Spygate tapes. So, and then you add Oscar and the whole cult of sports celebrity. Mm. The popular opinion that I'm gauging on social media is that it seems to be that despite the evidence, somehow Oscar is going to walk.